Hey guys, welcome to Salt City. My name's Drew. Glad to be here with you this morning, especially after we had to cancel the service last week. I don't know about you, but uh, my family and I went to church at a little place called the Original Pancake House <laughs> last week. That was a great celebration, but I was a little bit bummed, but I'm excited to be back in church with you guys here this morning. It's a great week to be in church, and we're kicking off this series on our core values. So if you look in your program, it lists sort of our core values, and today we're going to have fun because the first of our core values is that we love to celebrate. And that's because what our core values really bring us to is the purpose for which God created us. And so it lasts like one page, but that page is beautiful in your Bible in Genesis 1. God created the world for people to be in relationship with him, and they actually enjoyed that relationship. It was a relationship of celebration where people were receiving from God this relationship and this joy, and God was getting from these people glory. And so what we want to do as a church is call people back into this relationship with God that brings us joy, and we call that celebration. So we're looking at Psalm 100 this morning. So if you would, flip there in your Bible or on your Bible app, look at it on the screen, and let's read it together, and then let's have some fun. So Psalm 100 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So we're reminded in this passage that we exist to celebrate in God's presence. We exist to have this joy-filled relationship with God that actually causes us to sort of explode with praise, which the Bible calls Worship or celebration. So we're basically just going to break this statement down into three points and walk, walk through the scripture together. So the first point is that we exist to celebrate. Here's what I mean by this. Christianity is positive. It's outward. It's enjoyable. It's relational. And we see that in this passage. I don't know if you noticed that when we read through it, but in these five verses... There are six exclamation points. Don't you hate it when you get an email like that? You get an email like that from somebody, like six exclamation points in five sentences. You are like, you are not that excited on Monday morning. Don't you lie to me. But the writers of the Bible can't lie when they write the Bible. So this dude is actually this pumped. And he's like, listen, I have been in the presence of God. And I'm telling you, contrary to popular belief, I enjoyed it. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, if you're doing Christianity right, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. 
It's going to be enjoyable because Christianity isn't about a list of rules. It's not about religious observances. It is foundationally and fundamentally about being in relationship with God. Now you're asking, how could relationship with God possibly be fun and enjoyable? A relationship that is, in the words of the psalmist, characterized by gladness and singing and thanksgiving and praise and thanks and blessing his name. Well, the only way that relationship with God could be a party is if God himself is fun to be with. And do you know that that's what the Bible teaches? Psalm 1611 says, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, are pleasures forevermore. So if you're coming to church out of a sense of duty and then you're going out in the world to have fun, you're doing it wrong. You should be coming to church to enjoy the presence of God. You should be coming into his presence. And the way that you know that you've been in the presence of God is there's gladness and there's singing and there's shouting and there's joy. There's this experience of freedom that the psalmist is pointing us to. So some of us, our experience is sort of a begrudging Christianity. We're bothered. We're worried. We're caught up in the things of the world. We're seeing the weather and we're seeing our relationships and we're seeing things happen on the news cycle. And we're honestly just marked by this experience of Fear and anxiety and joylessness. And what I'm telling you is you might be a Christian if you're experiencing that, but you're a walking contradiction because Christianity at its very essence is this relationship of joy that you have with God. So here's what you're like, if that's you this morning, which has been me many times in church, so there's no judgment being cast at you, but you're like a few of my kids were when we went to Disney World a year ago, All right? So we went to Disney World, and I didn't know what to expect out of Disney World. I went when I was in second grade, really enjoyed it, but you know, going as a 34, 35-year-old guy, you're kind of like, I don't know, this probably isn't for me. But the thing about it is, I'm, I'm glad to report, Disney World is amazing, <laughs> I loved it. It was absolutely awesome. I mean, you know, toward the end of our time at Disney World, we go up this hill on a roller coaster, and right as we're at the top of the hill, the fireworks started going off over the castle, and we had like this perfect view at it, and my wife's sitting next to me on the roller coaster, and we're just laughing like little kids looking at each other, and I think I said to her at one point, like, this place is magical. And she's like, it is. And then later we're singing Disney songs like outside of the castle. And I'm sorry if this is like totally discrediting me as a pastor right now. But we're out there, you know, singing with our kids, having fun. But we've got this picture at one point at Disney World where it's in front of the castle and three of my kids were having meltdowns. So like they're like, you know, leaning their heads to the side and just these like grimaces. I mean, it's the perfect picture. Two of them that are melting down are in bell dresses. <laughs> you know, we dressed up and I mean, we went for it. But here's the thing. They weren't having fun at Disney World because something was wrong with them. 
Not because something was wrong with Disney World. Disney World's awesome. It's magical. It's fun. It lives up to the hype. There's a reason people waste their money on that. Guys, God is enjoyable. He's awesome. He's amazing. Being in relationship with him is life itself. And if you are not enjoying relationship with him, it's not because there's something wrong with him. Quite frankly, it's because there's something wrong with you. And we have to, at different times in our life, be first of all reminded that he's amazing, but also remember that it's easy for things in our lives to become more real than God himself. See, as Christians, what we believe is that our circumstances are not the air we breathe. God's presence is the air that we breathe. There is someone who exists outside of and above our current circumstances and who is in control of all things and who is always abundantly filled with joy. And if we are genuinely connected with him, the circumstances of this life will not bog us down. So I want to start off with sort of this test, all right? There's this guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who I've been really helped with in my walk with Jesus. He was a preacher in, in uh, the last century in Great Britain. And here's the test that he wants us to take to determine whether we're really experiencing what Christianity is all about. He says this, my test is a positive one. Do I know God? Is Jesus Christ real to me? I'm not asking whether you know things about him, but do you know God? Are you enjoying God? Is God the center of your life, the soul of your being, the source of your greatest joy? He is meant to be. He made man in such a way that that was to be the position that man might dwell in communion with God and enjoy God and walk with God. Do you know God? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord, Lord is good? Have you celebrated his goodness in your life before? Have you been able to tap into him in such a way that even when you're having a bad day, even when there's bad circumstances, even when there's horrible tragedies going on in your life or around you, have you tapped into the joy that is found in relationship with him in such a way that all those, cir those circumstances bother you, they don't destroy your joy? Because that is the essence of genuine Christianity. But let's all be honest, even if we've experienced that, that is not, for many of us, the regular experience of our days on earth. So the question is, how do we move in this direction of being Christians who are truly Christian, truly alive? And the answer lies in our understanding and experience of God himself. So what we're going to be talking about for the rest of, hey, thanks for that. That was awesome. Talking about ring. Yeah, that was great. Um, so, so what we're going to be talking about is God himself. We're going to be talking about who he is. And I'm hoping that will draw us into the enjoyment of him. 
So the first thing we're going to say is something quite profound. We're going to say we celebrate because God is God. God is God. So verse 3, did you catch this? It says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So when the name of God is capitalized, all the letters are capitalized, L-O-R-D, it means the existing one. So this is what the Bible is saying. The existing one is God. The uncreated creator is God. The one who has always been is God. There is only one God and you and I are not him. Here's the thing. That is amazing news. Do you at times feel anxious and exhausted trying to present this godlike version of yourself to the world? The Instagrammable version. Where you're trying to make people think that you're beautiful and that you're smart and that you're a hard worker and that your entire life you're on vacation. And to be honest, it's exhausting because we all know we're lying to each other. Well, why are we doing that? Because we're trying to pretend that we're God. And so here's what God's saying. I'm God. You don't have to be. What a relief. You can just be human. You can just be a person. And God is both in the passage complimentary of us as human beings and he puts us in our place. He compares us, right, to a work of art. It says, the Lord, he's God. He made you. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You're his masterpiece. You're a painting. You're a work of art. He made you just as you are for a purpose, but your value does not come by you trying to be something that you're not, but by you being exactly who God created you to be. And so one of the greatest lies in our culture is that my life is my own and I can live it however I want to live it. Now, there's a certain kind of freedom that comes from that, but I don't know if you've experienced this, but in the end, that sort of leads to disaster and exhaustion. The true freedom comes from knowing that we are his. You are God's. Your value and worth and identity comes from being owned by God. The creator of the universe is in charge of your life. And it might sound restrictive, but it's freeing because it is exhausting to be in a role that you're not qualified to be in, which would be Lord of your life. I don't know about you, I stink at that. I'm not good at it. And he takes it even a step further, right? He says, you don't know what you're like? You're like a sheep. Isn't that awesome? Like in one sense, we're a little bit offended. Like really, a sheep? 
Can you like compare me to a panther or something? Like something cool, like a sheep? Really? But in a sense, it's just so freeing. Because the thing is, we don't even believe the image that we're projecting of ourselves. Wouldn't it be nice to just be able to be who we are? Think about how that would transform our relationships with each other. How was your week? Not that good. You know, I'm really struggling with this aspect of school or this aspect of work or, or in, in more intimate relationships. You know what? I really don't like how I look. I really don't like how I feel. I, I'm really struggling with this mental illness. You know, I feel like my brain's broken. You know what? When God is God, we can just be sheep. We can just be ourselves. We can just be honest. And so it turns out when God is in his proper position and we are in our proper position, he gets the glory and we get the joy of just being people. That's when the celebration starts. When the existing one, the creator of the ends of the earth, the one who is unstained by sin and is beautiful in every way is God. And we simply admit that we are not. I kind of found an interesting illustration for this point as I was watching the Dennis Rodman documentary on ESPN. Did anyone else watch this? It was so good. I, I just absolutely loved it. I grew up in the 90s, was a Bulls fan. Dennis Rodman, he's the guy with the crazy colored hair and all that. Just has a, a nut story. But anyway, he's sharing this story throughout this documentary. And at the end of this document, he makes a, a really profound point. He said this. You would think that one of the most 10 recognizable people on this planet would be happy, right? And then there's sort of this dot, 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 and he just started crying. Here's what Dennis Rodman was saying. I have tried to find my identity in being celebrated. And here's what I'm telling you. Even if you make millions of dollars, even if you become the best in your field, even if everyone recognizes you and wants to take their picture with you and your Instagram account is amazing and you're friends with all the right people, your soul will be left depleted because you were not made to find your significance in being celebrated. You were meant to find your significance in declaring that God is to be celebrated. You were meant to see that he is amazing. You were meant to see that he is beautiful. You were meant to see that he is God and you are not. And you should not feel crushed by that. You should feel delighted in that. You should feel relieved in that. You should feel excited about that. And you ought to be telling everybody about it because it's the most amazing news in the world. Here's what's happened. God created us with a mirror pointing toward him. His glory was shining at us like the sun. And that mirror was reflecting his glory back to him. And we were over the top to be hiding behind the mirror and to have him in his proper place. 
But when men and women sinned against the God of the universe, what we did is we turned the mirror around and we said to God, the world is not about you. My life is not about your glory. My life is all about me. And what we've been trying to do is look in the mirror and find our worth. And all that we're finding as we look in the mirror is anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts and angst and fear. And we're just like, there has to be more to life than this. And the answer is to turn the mirror around. You weren't meant to be celebrated. Your life is not about you. You are not your own. Your life is about the glory of God. And when you align yourself with that purpose, you find your deepest satisfaction. But the news gets better than that. Okay, we're left in this place. God is the existing one. He's amazing. He's transcendent. He's high and lifted up. But we don't just celebrate because God is God. We celebrate because God is good. Let's keep going. Verse five. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The existing one, the creator of the ends of the earth, the one who owns you is good. I don't know about you, But if I had that much power, I would be an absolute tyrant. Everything that I could think of that I would do if I was God would be all about me. I would be a horrible person, a horrible God. Tonight, if you got nothing else to thank God for, thank him that I'm not him. (laughs) But here's the thing about God. He is all glorious beautiful, deserving of all of our affections, and he's good. And the psalmist defines his goodness this way, that his steadfast love endures forever. Don't get the idea that because God is transcendent, that he is not imminent. In other words, that he is not present. Did you know that God is here? He is present with us. And that the disposition of his heart is love toward you. He knows everything about you. He knows what you did this last weekend and the weekend before that. He knows every thought that's gone through your head. And he loves you. And that love is not just words. That love is steadfast. It is a commitment. I will love you no matter what. And we see that because of his faithfulness in our generation. You see that in the text? He's faithful to all generations. Here's what it's possible to think as you're reading through the Bible. Man, I wish I lived when Moses lived and God was doing a lot of cool stuff on Mount Sinai. 
Or I wish I was one of Jesus' disciples and I was walking with him so I could see all the cool stuff that God was doing then. Or I wish I was there at Pentecost when God sent the Holy Spirit down and people were speaking in tongues of fire and doing all sorts of crazy things. Or I wish I could have gone on a missionary journey with Paul where I could have seen God really at work. But here's what's true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful in our generation. And what we're seeing in this church is that God is raising up the next generation of people who are pursuing hard after him. And that's because he loves us. Our church is a church family that loves college students, but we're not a church family that loves college students because we believe in the unlimited potential of college students. We're not about reading books and trying to figure out how to reach millennials or Gen Z or trying to figure out all the the newest tactics and things like that. What we're all about is believing God's word. So we take him at his word that he's gonna be faithful to this generation. And I bet if I had people shout out right now, and maybe they will, people could give an amen to that and say, he's been faithful to me and I'm evidence of that work in this generation. And he is actually doing something amazing and remarkable that God's people could get behind and they would want to be a part of. The way that, I didn't get any amens. The way that we're illustrating this, like you're actually supposed to yell. Come on, if God's changed your life, yell. All right? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. The way that we illustrate this in our network is we illustrate it by talking about a waterfall in a Dixie cup. I don't know about you, I hate Dixie cups. Like if there were Dixie cups out there, like a Dixie cup is the most inadequate receptacle for water that's ever been invented. It's like so small and the edges always break and I end up just like chewing on it because I don't know what else to do with it. And I always think when there's Dixie cups sitting next to something, like I'd rather just fill up my hands with water because it's so inadequate. And so that's like us, we're inadequate. But here's what God's like. He's like Niagara Falls. Okay, so imagine if you could walk up to the bottom of Niagara Falls and try to catch water in a Dixie cup. First of all, you would like put your your hands around the edges and on the bottom to make sure that it's like, you know, it's not just gonna get disintegrated to pieces. But here's what you're not thinking. I wonder if this waterfall could fill up this Dixie cup. This is what we don't believe here. We don't believe that we're like these really passionate people about reaching the next generation and we're trying to get God on board with that. Like, please do something amazing. We're no, we know you're really busy and that you don't really have time for this generation. And we know that you used to do cool stuff, but you don't do cool stuff anymore. What we believe is God is like an overflowing waterfall. And so here's what we do as a network and as a church and as college ministries and as connection groups is we just take our Dixie cup and we run up to the waterfall and we just like hold it under there and we're just like, yes, this is amazing. Look what God's doing. And we don't get too bothered when we get a church service canceled and we don't get too bothered when like we get kicked around to all these different spaces or when things don't go right because we're not primarily looking at ourselves. We're looking at God and we're saying, he has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful to us in the future. He is going to be faithful because that's who he is and he can't change. Okay, you guys are on board, that's awesome. But in case you're not, 
Okay, hey, we, you're shouting back. We're becoming like Pentecostal in one service. This is great. All right. But how can we know? How can we absolutely know that God has been faithful and will be faithful? God has put his proof in one place. And we talk about it every week at Salt City Church. The proof is in the cross. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast. And the word boast there means glory or celebrate. Far be it from me to celebrate, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here's what would keep you from celebrating. This idea that you're not worthy. This idea that your sin has created too great of a gap between you and God. Here's what God has done. He has made a way where there is no way. He has come to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has hung on the cross for us because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we've turned our back. Instead of celebrating who God is and loving him above all else, we've turned our back on him and instead we become glory stealers and we've been celebrating ourselves and each other. That is the essence of sinful behavior. And so instead of destroying us, which is what we deserve, God sent his son to be destroyed for us. He was killed in our place. That's the meaning of the cross. Jesus took on what you and I deserve so that we would be freed up to have our sins punished and still be able to be in the presence of God. So did you know that your sin can't separate you from God? but your sin is actually a necessary component of you getting access to God. Because all you got to bring as a sheep is your sin. So here's the thing, you bring your sin to the cross. Jesus says, I'll give you a trade. I'll take your sin, you get my glory and perfection. So you are actually clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So we boast in the cross because it's there that our sin is taken care of and we see God in his essence as he is. So would you join with me in celebrating who God is? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you that the God of all creation, the existing one, became a man and died in our place on the cross for our sin. And forgive us, God, for boasting in our achievements, for boasting in our appearance, for boasting in our work ethic. We want to lay that down. We're going to say, we don't want the glory. We want the joy of being caught up in praising and honoring and admiring you. And so God, would you continue to work this miracle in us where our greatest delight would not be in ourselves, 
but it would be in you. In Jesus' name, amen.